All right. Well, as you're finding your seats there, let me give my chance to welcome you here this morning as well on this uh, wonderful Labor Day weekend. It's great to see you all here, especially if you're uh, new or visiting with us today. We're, we're very glad to welcome you into, uh, into our presence here this morning. Uh, it is indeed Labor Day long weekend. That means a couple of things. It means the hardcore campers are getting one more shot in there. And if you know much about me, I am not a hardcore camper. And so I woke up this morning at plus four and I thought, man, you got to really love camping to wake up at plus four weather. But uh, Labor Day, also a chance, uh, last break, last day off before we go back to school. Woo, yeah, those are the moms and dads, right? <laughs> that are cheering. I didn't hear anything from down here in the front. Last day before we go back to school. Yeah, is, that's not enjoyable. It's, it'll, be, it'll be exciting. It's new beginnings and new opportunities, right? Isn't that, what, isn't that what you're told? This year will be different than last year, right? <laughs> Better, we hope. It's the end of summer. It's the beginning of fall. Leaves start to change color, and, and we pull out some sweaters and light coats, things like that. We associate Labor Day long weekend with football. Labor Day classic. Hometown Eskimos versus Woo! Calgary Stampeders. I always feel sorry for Luke this time of year because his team loses two in a row. And that's, <laughs> that's pretty tough. We have to be nice to Luke today, though, because today is actually Luke's birthday. So we'll rib him tomorrow when the Stamps lose. We'll definitely let him hear it tomorrow. But for today, we'll, uh, we'll tell him how much we love him for today. So what is Labor Day not associated with? It's not really associated with being a festive holiday, like, like Christmas and Thanksgiving and Canada Day, where we get together and we celebrate. But if you look back to the origins of what this weekend, this holiday was actually about, it actually was meant to be a time of celebration. It was the idea that we were going to make an intentional celebration of the achievements of workers. And it goes back all the way to the 1880s where the labor union movement was starting and there was this push to make sure there was balance to our days so that we had an eight-hour workday and eight hours of rest and free time and eight hours of sleep. Eight plus eight plus eight, 24 hours in a day. It was this attempt to celebrate good hard work but then also having balance that would exist within our lives. Work, leisure, and rest. A balanced life. Celebrate what you accomplished and then take a day of rest. It's almost biblical in a way, isn't it? Does that sound almost biblical a little bit? And so as we ourselves here stand on the edge of this new season, whether it be a new season of work, a new season at school, a new season around church, a lot of ministries start getting launched around this time. As we stand at this new season of opportunity that is before us as we enter into the fall, it's important for us to make sure that we also are looking at this sort of balance that exists in our lives. How are we doing on that? How are we doing the balance between the work and the leisure and the rest? I'll just say right at the beginning here, I struggle with that. I work too many hours sometimes. I don't get enough sleep sometimes. I have a hard time finding hobbies and things I enjoy doing. I, I struggle with this stuff, and I'm probably not alone on this one. How are you doing? Could I ask you the question, how well do you labor as we find ourselves in this Labor Day celebrating how hard do we work? but also the balance in our lives. As you think about that question, maybe what the answers that come to your mind is, well, I, I work too many hours. I, I travel too excessively. I have a poor diet. I, I lack exercise. I'm not getting sleep. 
Maybe as you think about that, you're, you're reminded that your mind just won't shut down at night, that you're anxious about what tomorrow holds, that the stress within your life is actually having physical effects upon your body and your performance. Maybe even to the point where it's damaging relationships, where there's impossible expectations that you place upon yourself and that you place upon other people. Maybe it's even reached a point where you actually, if you're honest with yourself, there's some addictions that you have to help you cope with the stress and the challenges. And if that's so, I wouldn't be surprised if all of this leaves, leads to a spiritual poverty where we just don't have time for God in our lives either. Can you relate to some of those things maybe? I hope not all of them, but maybe some of them. And so then I ask you again, how well do we labor? Now, I was recently reading in the book of Acts, uh, chapter 20. And in that section of Acts, we see where, where Paul is on his way to Jerusalem. And as he's traveling towards Jerusalem, he has a chance to stop by this one port that's pretty close to Ephesus. And so he calls the, the leaders of the Ephesian church to come meet him. Because he's pretty sure this will be the last chance. This is the last opportunity he's going to have to speak with these men. And to encourage them. And to challenge them. And so as he meets with these guys, to say his farewell, he also leaves them with words of encouragement and final instructions. Which we find in, in verse 28 of Acts 20, 28, where he says to them, Watch over yourselves and all of the flocks of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. Now, there's about half a dozen times in the New Testament that Paul will tell people to watch over the flocks that have been placed under their protection, that have been placed under their guidance. And there's, in these teachings, he talks about how they need to care for these people. They need to love them, serve them. We're, we're familiar with these instructions, care for the flocks, love them, care for them, serve them. We, we've read these things a number of times in the, in the New Testament. This is the work that was given to these elders as he meets with them for the one last time. But there's something unique. There's something unique about this particular time that he tells them to do these things. You see, he doesn't just say, watch over the flocks of which you've been put in charge of, but he begins by saying, keep watch over yourselves. Keep watch over yourselves. You see, all of us have flocks. If you are part of a family, you're part of a flock. If you have kids, you have a flock. If you go to school, if you're on a sports team, if you have employees, if you're part of a small group, if you're part of a serving or a ministry team around the church or in your community, you have a flock. And there's work that goes with that. We have a responsibility to those people and to God to care for their health and for their needs as we're a part of that. But Paul cautions us first and foremost to keep watch over ourselves. Because working for others, caring for others, serving others will cost you something. It will cost you time. It will cost you energy. It may cost you personal resources. So we need to be careful that we don't serve to the point or work to the point to the detriment of our own health and our own needs. That's why I remind my staff on a fairly regular basis that your ministry will only be as healthy as you are. And the same applies for your flock here. Your flock will only be as healthy as you are. And so we need to learn to lead ourselves well before we will be able to lead others well. Make sense? So in response to this question, how well do we labor? In response to that question, today I want us to consider some key relationships, three key relationships in our lives that relate to this. Our relationship with ourselves, 
our relationship with others, and our relationship with God. We could consider this examining our, our physical selves, our relational selves, and our spiritual selves or health as we learn to lead ourselves well. Let's have a look at the first one. The first one, which is our relationship with ourselves. This relates to, to how we view, treat, and respect our physical bodies. Now, I know that some of us were granted more by God than others, that God gave some of us more body than others, some more than we needed, we think. And as we get a little older, sometimes those seems to work against us to some degree. Uh, it reminds me of a story here of two guys who are walking down the street, these two longtime friends, and, and one of them kind of said to the other one, he says, did you know that I'm a walking economy? His friend thought that was an awfully curious phrase. What do you mean by that, you're a walking economy? The other man said, well, my hairline is in recession, my stomach is the victim of inflation, and the combination of these two factors has put me into a deep depression. So <laughs> Now, we may grumble and joke about the physical bodies that we have, but it is important to be careful how we view them. Because you may not like what you see in the mirror sometimes, but I firmly believe that God doesn't make mistakes. And that extends to, to how he created you beautifully and uniquely as well. But to take that one step further, we see that in 1 Corinthians, we're told that, don't you know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you? Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Now, our bodies are these dwelling places of the Holy Spirit, these, these sacred places where, where the Holy Spirit resides and dwells. And if you were to continue to read on in this passage, look at the context of this passage, you see that, that, that one of the main thrusts is this idea that we shouldn't subject our, our bodies to, to, to temptation and, and to sinful practices. But, but not only are temples places that are to be kept from the profane, but at the same time, temples are places where we're meant to engage in worship of God. So, while we need to ensure that we do not mistreat our bodies, it is also vitally important that we are caring for and maintaining them. And now this isn't new, but have you ever thought of this, care for yourself physically, have you ever thought of that in terms of an act of worship? Have you ever thought of the fact that caring for your physical body is actually a form of worshiping God? Now, we hear all sorts of information on how we're supposed to go about this. If you turn on the TV too late at night, you're going to find infomercials. And those infomercials, they'll talk about P90X. They'll talk about the latest diet fad, the latest supplements. They'll tell you about the shake weight that you need to order in order to tone those biceps. So from infomercials, but all the way up to our doctor's advice, we've heard all of this before. But have you ever thought of it as an act of worship to actually engage in some of these steps? You see that we worship God and we honor him by caring for what he gave us, by being good stewards of the physical bodies that he gave us. Now, I'm going to leave it to you and to your doctor to decide what's right for you. That's, that's not my place to, to put out a meal plan and an exercise plan for you. That's not my role. But I do want us to take seriously three key areas that we need to be thinking about and asking our families and our doctors about. You know, one of the first things is we know that we need to eat right. We've, we've heard this before, is that we need to eat properly because if you don't... Whether you do or you don't, you tend to look like whatever you eat. Have you heard that before? You, you are what you eat, and sometimes you look like what you eat. The idea being if you eat donuts, you, you look like a donut. If you eat celery, you'll look like celery. I'm not sure how that applies to broccoli, because it's an odd shape. But nobody eats broccoli anyway, so it's not really a problem. 
So, but also we, we, we just know from, from experience in these things that if we're eating well, that we feel and look healthier. There's a vitality within us. We'll have better energy and better health. We'll feel better. And we'll have less stress as well. And as we start to head back to school, moms and dads, there's tons of research to show that eating properly actually leads to better mental acuity. That means that when the kids go to school, if they have a good breakfast and a good lunch, they'll pay attention better, they'll listen better, they'll heal better, they'll do better on their tests and their homework because they have healthy food in their bodies. So that's one thing we've heard about. What's the second thing? Anybody want to guess what the next one is? Exercise. Yeah, we know that one's coming up, right? Exercise is another way that we can honor God with our bodies. Now, I'm not talking about going out and becoming like a big bodybuilder or the next Mr. Universe. This can be as simple as taking your dog for a walk a couple times a week. 20, 30-minute walking the dog. Put on a sweater, put on a scarf, and walk your dog. He will love you for it, and your body will love you for it if you go out and do those sorts of things. Now, there's a trick to this one, though, because you can't just walk to Dairy Queen and get a peanut butter parfait, right? That kind of nullifies, maybe even sets you back a little bit. You can't just walk to 7-Eleven and get yourself a Slurpee because that's, that's going to counteract what's going on here. So we got to be wise about this as well. But again, we know that even just three times a week, 20 to 30 minutes a day, will lead to effects, positive effects upon our weight, upon our health and our heart and our lungs, our mood, our energy. It'll even help with sleep. If you struggle with sleep apnea, some mild cases of sleep apnea can be turned around by stronger health and heart and exercise on a regular basis. And don't forget forget, believe it or not, exercise can be fun. I know, you may think I'm lying to you, but try it. It might actually be fun. And the last one, really quickly, the last one before we move on from this is sleep. I think we all need to sleep a little more or sleep a little better. And almost all of us could use some of this, eight hours of sleep, as they wanted with Labor Day, eight hours of work, eight hours of leisure, eight hours of sleep. And they've just shown that sleep leads to better memory, creativity, grades, living longer, improves weight, mood, strength all these sorts of things. Now, I'm not in a place to tell you how to work this all into your life, but I think we could all agree that eating right, a little exercise, a little more sleep will be one part of leading ourselves well in a physical sense. And between you, your family, and your doctor, you can figure out what that looks like, but I hope you can understand from today that this is actually an act of worship to God, not just something that we need to be burdened by. We actually worship God through caring and viewing ourselves in this fashion. So, We've reached a point where we are feeling good about ourselves. And so now it's time to introduce ourselves to some other people, which is the second relationship we want to look at today, the relationship with others. Have you ever walked into a room where you know nobody, nobody talks to you, nobody shakes your hand, and you just stand there? You ever had that experience? It's awkward. It is really really awkward. And it causes that empty feeling within you to kind of build, and we know we're not going to enjoy it, so we tend to avoid those situations, which can actually lead to some people avoiding social situations altogether. Because nobody likes to feel left out. Nobody wants to be outside the group, kind of standing on the edge, just wanting to be included. It's one of the reasons we work so hard here at West Meadows to have a strong, friendly, welcoming first impressions team. So we can receive people in so that nobody stands alone not being talked to or being greeted or, or being engaged in a conversation. And this is a desire for everyone. See, by the sheer fact that we're all part of the human race, there's something I know about us that built into our DNA is this longing for meaningful relationship. 
Everyone has it. And we don't just know it and feel it within our own lives. We actually see it from cover to cover in the Bible. See, the Bible really, one of the main themes and stories we see in there is a story of relationships. From the very beginning, we see that God entered into a relationship with Adam and Eve. And then as we read a little further, a special relationship with Abraham and his descendants that led to a a committed relationship and covenantal promises with the people of, of, of Israel. Which then as that continued to grow in expression and size, a special relationship with King David and a promise that was made with him that that, that, that relationship would never end. And we follow it all the way through until we get to the New Testament where Jesus arrives on the scene and is a complete game changer in a lot of ways, but not in the relational way necessarily, because he engaged people in relationship as well. He loved people, and they loved him. Story after story, we see this relational connection between Jesus and people, all culminating to the belief that all who would place their faith in him All who would believe that he was the son of God, that he had died for their sins, everyone who would put their faith and belief in him would enter into a relationship with the Father. And as thousands and thousands came into that sort of a relationship, received Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior, which we read about throughout the whole New Testament, they form a new community, a new community, the early church. The early church that we read about particularly its origins in Acts chapter 2 where it tells us in Acts chapter 2 that they came together daily. On a daily basis, they came together for teaching, for prayer, for fellowship, for serving one another. A community, that, that deep connection existed. But then we find this. We miss this sometimes. Within about a generation, by the time that the book of Hebrews was written, we come to Hebrews 10, about a generation after the start of the early church where daily they came together and they met and they prayed and they learned and they served and they had friendships and relationships and nobody had any needs. Less than a generation later, Hebrews chapter 10, something changes. And the author of Hebrews 10 says this, let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting as some are already in the habit of doing. This incredible momentum and communities are formed, but then less than a generation the author is going, come on, guys, keep it going. Keep it together. We don't know why they stopped meeting. Maybe it's because they were busy. Maybe it's because of conflict that happened within the groups. Maybe there's persecution from the outside that made it difficult. Maybe their, their kids had to go to sports and they couldn't make it to synagogue anymore. I, I don't know, <laughs> whatever it may have been. But they quit meeting for some reason like they used to. But we do know this. We do know that that need still existed within them because they're part of humanity and exists within all of us. But we also know that scripture is encouraging it, so it's important. It's not just, we don't just feel it inside, but God knows it. He built it into our DNA so that we need to long and chase after it. But not only here do we see it. We also see Jesus praying for this very thing. And in in one of the prayers, the final prayers he offered for his disciples before he departed. Because he knew that they would need one another. And one of the last things he prays is, Father, protect them by the power of your spirit so that they may be one as we are one. He's speaking of this close relationship that he had with the Father that he wanted us to have in community as well, but also a relationship that he himself modeled while he was here on earth. (coughs) You see, the Gospels present this picture of Jesus engaging in various types of community, 
The Gospel of Mark in particular uses specific words to show different communities that Jesus was engaged in. And there's an interesting pattern that we see in these communities. We see that as the community, which starts very, very large, as the community starts to get smaller, there's an increase in intimacy, in connection, and in influence. As the community gets smaller, the connection and the intimacy gets greater. We see this pattern throughout the Gospel of Mark and throughout all the Gospels, but Mark in particular. Let me show you exactly what this looks like quickly. We see the first group that Mark talks about is, is the world, speaking about it's like all people. And these are all people, all Jews and all Gentiles of the day, everyone who walked and lived on the earth at that point, all people. We know in today's world of globalization that, that we are somewhat connected on a global level, that there is a connected, it's a loose connectivity, but there's a connection that exists. But we would all agree that it's very impersonal. Well, we may be connected via the internet to somebody on the other side of the world. There's an impersonal connection that exists there. And so Jesus was among the people in the world. But then Mark talks about he was also amongst the crowds. Now, at this point, the group gets a little smaller. And this is often spoken of, of a group of people who still belong to the world, but they were united by a common interest or a common curiosity. In this case, when it says the crowds came after Jesus, the common interest, the common curiosity was Jesus. They were still of the world, but they were bound together by this common curiosity about who Jesus was. This would be similar to when you go to a concert. You don't know who you're sitting beside necessarily, but you're all bound by being fans of whoever that performer on the stage is or the team that's on the field. If you go to Canada Day Fireworks at some point, you don't know who you're watching the fireworks beside, but you all love Canada. So there's a greater connection, but it's still very loose and relatively impersonal. And then there's a group even smaller that came out of the crowds, which is the followers. Mark talks about how there were followers that were amongst the crowd. Smaller group, now identifiable by more of a personal leader, purpose, or goal. Still great diversity in the groups. There's greater connectivity, but somewhat impersonal still. This would be the equivalent of being part of a church, where you know a lot of people, but not everybody. You might know all the faces. You might be familiar to who sits in your area, and we all have this connected nature of being part of a church, but we don't know everybody personally yet. So we're getting a little smaller, but greater knowledge of each other. Now here's the thing. This is where most people stop. There's a lot of people who this is as far as they go in their groups. I'm part of the world. I'm kind of in a crowd in my neighborhood, in my workplace. And I'm a follower, part of a church, part of a team, part of a company. And that's as far as their relationship, relationship connectivity goes. But we still haven't reached any level of measurable intimacy any level of measurable connection or influence, and people find themselves very lonely. You know, research has been done over this, over the years about what this looks like. And there's this incredible need for intimate friendships that go beyond these levels of just being part of a greater body, as important as this is. You know, research shows that 45% of people feel lonely some of the time, and then another 18% feel lonely all of the time. That means that almost 65% of people, over half of the people in the world, wrestle with loneliness. Not having people in their lives on a regular basis at a meaningful level that would save them from feeling lonely. 36% of guys would say, I haven't got a close friend. I got no one to talk to. I got no one to hang out to at any meaningful level. I'll go golfing with a guy, but we don't talk. We just golf for four hours. There's no, there's no connection that happens there beyond the golfing. And 
while 36% of guys have no close friends, and, and this happens to ladies quite often too, when you look at pastors and pastors' wives, that 36% doubles up almost to 75% say that. You see, all of us need a deeper connection than this shows. But Jesus demonstrated that as well. Jesus demonstrated a deeper connection where he went into the next level where from the followers, he chose 12. He selected a group of 12 people that were on a shared journey with him, that could learn with him, that could support him, encourage him, and and vice versa as well. And we read about this in Mark chapter 3 where he selects 12 people and names 12. We don't see any of the followers necessarily named, but we see these 12 people that are pulled out of the followers named and on a journey with him from that point. And intimacy all of a sudden takes a huge jump. This could be considered Jesus' life group that he's a part of. Just like we have life group ministries here. This could be considered Jesus' life group that he met with regularly and had authentic connection with. But then it went even a step further where there were three guys from within that group. Just a few guys who experienced the most extraordinary events within Jesus' life. He singled out three from the 12, Peter, James, and John, who were the only three who witnessed certain events in Jesus' ministry. Only Jesus and those three people were present at the resurrection of Jairus' daughter. Only they were present at the transfiguration, and only they were with him at his deepest time of need in the Garden of Gethsemane. See, I can't stress enough the importance of us finding people in these bottom two groups. If Jesus needed this in his life, being fully God and fully man, if he knew the need that he had for intimate friendship, how much more so was our need? Our need to, to go beyond just knowing people's faces, but taking a step further where you know their stories, where they don't just know your name, but they know your heart. These are things that all of us need in our lives. Now, maybe as I talk about this, you can think about who those people are. Maybe you've got those, that small group. Maybe you've got those one or two people that you can, you can count on that when you ask yourself the question, who's going to be there, you come to a name at the end of that question. You know who those people are. Others here I know are going to draw a blank on this. So where do you build these relationships? How do we do it? Well, one of the best ways, I think, is here at the church. Not exclusively, but I think the church can play a big role in this. This is a great time of year as we are launching so many new groups, so many new ministries that you can join and volunteer with. One of the best ways to meet people is to volunteer alongside somebody, to serve alongside somebody. You make some of the best friendships. And starting next Sunday as we kick off our fall season, we're going to be talking more about these. We're going to tell you about some of these groups and how to get into them, how to get connected. And so that's coming up next Sunday. So starting today and throughout the whole week, I want you to have these conversations with yourself with your spouse, with your family, say, what do I need? What do we need? Where should we plug in so that we can have these connections that we need? So we have an answer to the question, who's going to be there in our greatest time? And so next week as we talk about them, you're ready to jump in. Because in leading ourselves well, strong, intimate connections with other people is a big part of our personal health. So we look after ourselves physically, and then we introduce ourselves to people and look after our relational situation with others. But there's one more important relationship that we need to consider as well. And that is our relationship with God. That's one that Jesus definitely had as well. Now, as I talk about this one, I don't want to negate everything I've said beforehand. 
Because that's all very, very important. It's important if we're going to have healthy selves, that we can lead ourselves well before we lead others well. Uh, but looking after our physical selves, looking after our relational selves, that is all secondary to this most foundational need, which is our relationship with God. Because we are not a body with a soul. We are a soul with a body. Think about the difference about that for a second. We are not just a body that has a soul. We are a soul that has a body. That means that our deepest level, our greatest need, our most enduring void that needs to be filled relates to our spiritual self. Because your body will one day pass on, but your soul will live on somewhere forever. Because we are a soul with a body. And just as our bodies get restless and need to be cared for, so too do our souls. So often we find people who are searching but never finding. Who are interested in everything but satisfied with nothing. Well, we may find rest for our bodies but still not find rest for our souls. So how do we address this issue? Where do we find rest for our souls? Well, the answer is in our relationship with God, is where we find rest for our souls. In Psalm 62, uh, David wrote one of the greatest expressions of trust in the Lord when he said, truly my soul finds rest in God. My salvation comes from him. And then in a famous passage that we find from St. Augustine's confession, he offers a prayer where he says the same thing this way. He says, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our souls are restless until we find rest in you. You see, no person, no thing, no experience outside of our relationship with God will ever bring rest to our souls. But here's the challenge with this one. While you can work harder at eating better, and you can work harder at exercising more, and you can choose to rearrange your schedule so that you sleep more, you can take steps and choose to join some groups. You can choose to put yourself out there and make some new friends. Deepening your relationship with God cannot be reduced to a to-do list. It has a to-do component. There is a need for us to find our space and place as we talk around here. We find that physical space where that's where you spend time with God on a regular basis. We carve out that physical space in our calendars for God and we find our place in his story as we read scripture and pray with him. There's a to-do component where we need to find our space and place. But our relationship with God is so much more than doing. Our relationship with God at the most foundational level is about being as opposed to doing. Now I know I talk a lot about the doing part. I talk about things that we should start doing, things that we should stop doing. Even most of what I talked about today so far falls in the category of doing or not doing. I think it's a bit of the, the coaching nature that I have in me. But starting next week, we're gonna enter into a new sermon series. And this new sermon series that we're gonna stay in for the rest of the fall is going to focus upon the fact that rather than doing for God, what would it mean to just be with God? Instead of doing for God, what would it mean to just be with God? Rather than being overwhelmed with, I've got to serve him more, I've got to obey him more, I've got to be here, I've got to do that, I've got to be part of this, I've got to stop doing this, and then beating ourselves up and being overwhelmed with what we do and don't do, is it possible 
that first and foremost, we can just be with God and then allow our service and our obedience to flow from that as opposed to us trying to achieve being with God through that. We're going to spend a number of weeks talking about that starting next week, about being with God. So when our soul is restless, when our spiritual self is searching, that's an indication to us that we need to be with God. Jesus demonstrated this for us too. On the night that Jesus was to be arrested and crucified, if you're familiar with that story we find in the Gospels, it talks about how after the disciples and Jesus left the upper room, they, 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 they walked to a place called the Garden of Gethsemane. And when they arrived there, Jesus stepped aside with, with, his, with his three guys. He intentionally took Peter, James, and John with them and went a little further. And as he walked a little further, he, he fell to the ground in anguish. And there with those three closest brothers around him, he, he said to them, he said, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. And as he fell to the ground there and he cried out in this prayer of Abba, Father, this expression of this close, personal relationship with his heavenly Father. And there in those moments of being with his Father, he gained the resolve, he gained the strength, and he gained the focus that he needed for the trials that lay ahead of him. The trials that would lead him to the cross to pay the price for your sins and for mine so that we too could be with God and find rest for our souls in our Abba Father. You see, in those final hours of Jesus' life, he demonstrates the greatest example of what it means to lead yourself well if you're going to lead others well. When he gathered with them at the Last Supper, it was a time of nourishment. It was a time of rest of preparing for the physical, preparing the physical self for what lied ahead. As he entered into the garden, he gathered together his closest friends in his greatest time of need, demonstrating his relational self. And then when he was in deep anguish, he cried out to his father with a soul that was overwhelmed to address the needs in his spiritual self. Jesus, who is the greatest leader of all time demonstrates for us what it means to care for your physical self, your relational self, and your spiritual self to his last breath. And so as we learn to lead ourselves well, I think there's good reason for us to care about these topics. To understand that when we engage in these activities that we are caring for our bodies, we are caring for others, and we are worshiping God by doing so but also that we contend for our souls because Jesus led the way in that as well. And that opportunity, as I said before, the spiritual aspect of ourselves is, is the greatest need that any of us have. And, and the most important decision any of us will make is not where we work or what we eat or what gym we join. The most important decision any of us will ever make is found in what this table symbolizes. I invite the worship team and the service to join me as we, as we contemplate what this means. That at this table, we see the end of Jesus' earthly ministry. 
whereas he left the garden and was arrested that night. And then was, was tried, was beaten and tortured. Eventually led to a place upon the cross where he breathed his last and gave up his life. Also that in the giving of his life that we could have eternal life. That we can know what it means to be in relationship with our Abba Father. You see, Jesus Christ paid the price that none of us could pay, but all of us needed. He longed for us to, to bridge that gap that exists between us and God and, 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 and the sin that, that just reigns in a person's life that needs to be dealt with, that keeps them from God. He paid the price so that if we accept the forgiveness that he made possible, that we can be forgiven of those sins, that God would no longer hold those against us, that, that when God looks at us, he looks at us through Christ and sees pure purity, pure white, not because of us, because of him. And so at this table, we rightly celebrate that. We come together to remember as a community. We come together as a community of believers to remember that sacrifice. We come together to be thankful for that sacrifice. We come together to reaffirm our allegiance to Christ and our thankfulness for that. This is really a, not a solemn occasion, but it is an occasion of celebration and thankfulness as we come to this table. And so as we distribute the elements, the, the bread, which is symbolic of Jesus' body, which is broken for us, and the, the cup, which is symbolic of his blood, which is poured out for us. I want to give you just a moment to, to prepare your hearts. This is open to anybody here who has accepted Christ as their Lord and Savior. If you're at a point in your life where you haven't made that decision or if you're at a point where you're just being honest with yourself and there's something in you saying, you know, i got to get something right with myself or something right with God before I participate in this. And we encourage you to allow the elements to pass by you. But then to come back next time, having dealt with that issue and then using it as an opportunity to celebrate again, having taken that step in your personal life with God or with another brother or sister. So I'll give you a moment to prepare your hearts. Then I'll say a word of prayer for us, and we'll distribute the elements.